Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Joey Knight, you were at One Buck Place or the what, the Advent Health Practice Center, whatever they're calling it now, over uh, at the Buccaneers practice facility and offices there today as Bruce Arians officially stepping down as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers moving into a, I believe they said a senior football, I forget, consultant or whatever position. And Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, longtime defensive coordinator under Bruce Arians, is uh, promoted to head coach. So uh, the news broke, of course, Wednesday night. We had Rick on yesterday's on the podcast to talk about that. But you were at the press conference today where uh, the Glazer family honored uh, Coach Arians and even announced that he will go into the ring of honor this fall. And then uh, you know, introduced Todd Bowles as the head coach where he said he's just going to be him. You know, the things he learned from being at the Jets last time and, and what he's learned from Bruce Arians over time. And, and Bruce even told him, just be you. And you'll mm-hmm. do fine. And he's got a heck of a team behind him to do this with. So your thoughts on, on everything that happened today there? Yeah, it was really nice. Uh, it was the quintessential passing of the torch. Uh, first part of the, the press conference was spent celebrating Bruce, Bruce Arians' career in Tampa Bay and lauding him for his contributions, for the way he just helped change the culture and, you know, it, even enhanced diversity within the organization and of course the winning on the field. So I I thought it was very nice, even a little poignant. Joel Glazer was the first one to talk and I swear it sounded like his voice was cracking a little bit when he was talking about Bruce's contributions. And then you segued from that to introducing uh, Bruce's kind of handpicked successor, Todd Bowles. And, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of complimentary things said about Todd, about why he's the right guy for this time and just the way he has endeared himself to not only players, but other coaches and staffers inside that building during his three years here. So it, it was just it, it was really nice, very appropriate, I, I, I think, is the, the best way to put it. Just again, just the really just couldn't have figured out a couldn't have thought of a better passing of the torch moment than than what we saw today this was quintessential passing of the torch and to top it all off steve you know tom brady made a cameo didn't address the media didn't really speak to anybody but you know uh we all know these rumors are flying and these rumblings about how this was a brady power play to force bruce out and they were they had a rift and one of them had to go and all this nonsense, and I, I think this was a gesture by Tom just to, to honor his former coach and to, to indicate there, there's nothing wrong with us. We're, we're on great terms and to show his support for, for Todd Bowles as Bowles was ushered in. So just really a, really a cool and nice and sometimes poignant ceremony there today at Advent Health Training Center. I thought Tom was there to finally take that knife that he put in Bruce's back and twist it. That's why he was there, you know, just to make sure he retired. You know, it's, we were talking about this, you know, before we went on this, 
we, we live in a 24-7 news cycle and sports talk cycle. And, you know, that's what that's what butters our bread a lot of the time. You know, we, we can talk football for 24-7 because there's an appetite for for football 24-7. But you need storylines and subplots and theories and, you know, just offbeat hypotheses to fill that time. And I, I've heard some some really outlandish ludicrous ones about about Brady and Arians did they have the perfect relationship no but no one does but I I think they work together just fine did did Bruce do some things that that maybe Tom didn't agree with yeah probably but again no relationship is perfect I am sure I am sure in the previous two decades Tom did not have the perfect relationship with his boss up in New England I'm sure they knocked heads on occasion, but somehow they got through it. I think I think Tom and Bruce are fine. I, I don't think if, if there was such a rift, I don't think Tom contemplates coming back. You know, uh, I, I heard one rumor, Steve, or, or one theory. I don't want to say rumor. I heard one theory earlier today on one of the networks that that, you know, laid it out like this, that Tom played for the quintessential old school coach at Michigan and Lloyd Carr. And then he played for a hard nosed old school guy in Belichick for two decades in new England. And after two years of Arians where Arians was more hands off than those guys and had a little bit of a looser atmosphere, Brady enjoyed it initially, but kind of wanted to get back to, to being coached hard and having that rigid structure. So that's why Arians had to go, you know, Nonsense. Just complete nonsense. Those guys were fine. And Arians brought it up again today. He said, you know, those those rumors are crap, except he didn't use the word crap. You know, he said, I want to get Brady out on the golf course again soon. So, again, much ado about nothing. And I thought it was a really cool gesture for Tom to be there, not only to show support for his old coach, but uh, but to kind of endorse his new one, if you will. So I thought it was interesting that they started off the press conference and announced that Bruce Arians is going into the Ring of Honor this season. And, of course, only the second coach in Buccaneers history to lead them to a Super Bowl. It spent three seasons here. Uh, First of all, a great honor and I think well-deserved. But you and I were talking beforehand, so I'll ask you the question on the podcast. Tom Brady retired this offseason, too. Were they going to put him in the Ring of Honor this year? Had he stayed retired? And that that's a great question, a thought-provoking question. I don't think they do it right away. I think they put some separation between Brady uh, and, and the Ring of Honor. I think they're doing this now um, for Bruce. Uh, one reason, perhaps, is because he's going to be 70 in October. And while he seems in great health and he has reiterated that his retirement is based on no way on health reasons that his health is fine. The fact of the matter is he's going to be 70 in October. So um, they it, do it sooner rather than later. Why not? Joel Glazer, I asked him and he said, you know, if anyone, if anyone checks the boxes, every single box for being immediately put into the ring of honor, it's Bruce Arians. Not only, not only the wins, you know, he's, the third winningest coach in franchise history. He'll leave with the best winning percentage. There were five playoff wins on his watch. 
And that's only one fewer than the franchise had in its history before he arrived. Not only that, just because of the the culture he helped forge, the diversity he helped foster, three black coordinators, two female assistants. You know, he he embraced that kind of diversity. So for all those reasons, Joel said again, he and he said it like this. You talk about guys checking the boxes, check, check, check. Bruce did them all for immediate induction. So why wait? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I think it's, you know, he's still going to be part of the organization. That's one of the things he talked about, too. He'll still be, you know, able to go through the locker room. And except this time he won't be the coach. So uh, right. a little little more loose there. Um, he said he's willing to do anything that the organization needs. You know, Todd Bowles specifically mentioned helping with the draft is, you know, Todd's done a lot of work on the defensive side of the, the ball, looking at draft stuff, you know, for coming up in the next month or so. But, you know, Bruce Arians obviously has been looking at everything, so he's going to need his help there and, and, and that. So, you know, not only does Todd Bowles get to take over as coach, and, and this has kind of been Bruce Arians' secession plan since he got here, although, as he even said, look, I, I thought Todd Bowles would have been hired after the Super Bowl as a coach somewhere. And, right. and, you know, maybe that year it's a little too late to hire by that point. By the time you get past mm-hmm. the Super Bowl, most of the openings are done. Right. And, and that defense that year started slow and finished strong. Right. And, and, yes. and even had a better playoffs. But by last season, you expected he may have gotten a job. And, of course, he didn't, which then allowed the secession plan. So, and, and, you know, I think that really ticked Bruce off. The fact that his two coordinators, though they interviewed, they, they didn't get a job. They came up empty in this last coaching cycle. I really think that bothered him. I think it disgusted him. And Bruce saw how the planets were aligning. Tom unretiring which set off all these free agents re-signing, re-upping with the Bucks to play with Tom again. And he said, hey, this team is a Super Bowl contender again. This team is set up for success. The time is right. Now is the perfect time to give you know Todd a chance to maximize his opportunity for success and to uh, you know to run with it. And he said, Bruce said, this is my dream. And, you know, I I love a a, a quote that he had. He said, you know, a lot of people have already asked him, why are you stepping away from a chance to go to the Hall of Fame and win another Super Bowl? And he said, because I don't give a crap about the Hall of Fame. Succession is way more important to me. So this is his succession plan. And to make it even better, the Bucks are in a are in a position to potentially win another Super Bowl or make a serious run at it. So he's got his guy that he's known for 40 years. Todd Bowles played for him at Temple, has coached for him a number of years. He can plug his guy in and give him the maximum opportunities to, to succeed at this level. And I don't think Bruce Arians could be happier about it. I mean, he took the job in Tampa Bay on the pure premise of, one, I'll work with Jason Light, who I've worked with before and I know. Right. But two, my whole coaching staff was available to come with me. Absolutely. From Byron Leftwich to Todd Bowles to Larry Foote to go down the roster. Right. All those coaches were available to come with him. Yeah. And, and his plan all along, I mean, did, when he was hired here, did anyone really expect him to be here five years later? Now, no. You've got Tom Brady, and maybe that changes some things. Right. But that's not the way Bruce thinks. And as he said today, he goes, succession's more important than that stuff to me. That I, w- I want to set my guys up for success, and he's always been about his guys. 
throughout his career. I mean, and, and you know, he didn't become a head coach till he was sixty. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even given the chance to be a head coach till then, and it was only because of an illness in Indianapolis, right, that he got to take over for part of a season. So that has been, you know. Bruce is a little different than a lot of guys in that way, where it's truly about the people more than it is the the success. It's really the process over the outcome. Like we hear John Cooper talk about all the time, right? But that's really the way Todd or Bruce Arians operates. Yeah, dream scenario. He saw the dream scenario playing out. One of his guys could have a chance to win a Super Bowl, and you know who knows what Todd Bowles was thinking, whether he'd ever get another crack at this Mm -hmm. you know he had a great first season with the Jets and then the last three years kind of foundered but look at the quarterbacks he had I think one of the McCowns and Sam Darnold and Ryan Fitzpatrick who was kind of over the hill at that point um, even back then you know he didn't have nearly the roster that he obviously is inheriting right now and I again I, I just think this was this was a dream for Bruce to, to plug in one of his guys with this roster and just to give him the maximum opportunity to succeed just the way he envisioned it, like you said, when he arrived here in 2019. You know, it's funny because we had talked leading up to this about if Tom Brady had not come back, would Bruce retire? Because does he really want to groom and, and grow with Blaine Gabbert and or Kyle Trask as the quarterback? Assuming that was your options, if you couldn't yeah. land somebody else, and and you know your 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 mind kind of went to, well, yeah, he would retire. Why would he stick around and do that? Except now, when you hear him talk today, you, what you realize is, if that's the options here, I'm not turning the the job over to my assistants for them to be dealt that hand. Absolutely, that yes. I'll stay because they're not going to be set up for the success that they need quickly, and not that. Blaine Gabbert or Kyle Trask couldn't win games, but you're not a Super Bowl contender this year if they're the quarterback. Yeah, and, and all it all makes games, complete and, sense yeah, and, when, when you think about it now. You know, Bruce talks about, you know, his succession plan that he had in mind and thinking, looking through that prism, it all makes complete sense just for the way you laid it out, Steve. If, you know, if this offense had been entrusted to, to Trask or Gabbert, and, and Bruce retired then, he's setting up either Byron Leftwich or Todd Bowles to fail. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a quarterback in this league. And who knows, Blaine Gabbert may have come in and overachieved and exceeded expectations. But more than likely, he would not have. And more than likely, all these free agents who re-upped mm-hmm. after after Tom unretired, they probably wouldn't be here either. Well, we're pretty so, sure Carlton Davis wouldn't be here. We're pretty sure right. Ryan Jensen wouldn't be here. If you're assuming Gronkowski is coming back, he wouldn't be here. Leonard Fournette probably wouldn't be here. Probably not, no. You know, all, all, we know that the, the team and the weapons wouldn't be what they are with Tom Brady at quarterback. And, and so, so you're setting up one of those two coaches to fail, and that's the last thing Bruce wanted. So, again, looking through the prism of his succession plan, all this lines up. It all makes sense now. It, it really does. So Bruce Arian steps out of the way. Of course, he'll still be in the front office and there to help. But now Todd Bowles takes over. And as you mentioned, he had a good first year in New York, a rough last three years. Uh, although, you know, you can uh, the roster you could look at and that organization as a whole, um, you know, hasn't. it's not like they've been more successful since he's been gone either. Mm-hmm. So, but he takes over. He's right. got some experience in that regard. 
which I have to assume that's probably part of the reason why he was chosen and not necessarily Byron Leftwich. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was ever asked, you know, if, if Byron was ever considered today. And I'm sure at some point that will be. And I'm sure he was considered. But Todd Bowles has experience. You've got a team that's expected to be a contender for the Super Bowl. I would think that experience that Todd has is a big reason why he's the one leading the charge now, despite the fact he's a defensive coach, which you don't see too many of those promoted up anymore. Yeah, we, we, we talked, Steve, and you raised the point before we, we went on the air. I, I think the chances of Byron getting a better job elsewhere are better than Todd's because this is an offense quarterback driven league. Mm-hmm. And so people are going to go after the coordinator, the quarterback's coach. So I, I think that gives Byron a, a greater chance of getting a job elsewhere than Todd, who is clearly a defensive coach. And the other part of that, yes, Todd has NFL coaching, head coaching experience previously. So which gave him an upper, upper hand to, to succeed Bruce. And he talked about, you know, the learning experience of being with the Jets for, for four years. He said, you know, there are a bunch of holes in that dike and I was trying to fill 50 holes with only the 10 fingers that I have. And it kind of, to me, when, when he said that, it sounded like a young Bruce Arians, because if you've, if you've watched documentaries on, on Bruce, uh, either on NFL Network or elsewhere, he talked about being a young head coach at Temple and just not delegating, micromanaging, and trying to just do every task. Uh, you know, just not entrusting his assistants and his staff with responsibilities. And he said, you know, I, I got migraines. I got migraines at Temple. And when they fired me, the migraines went away and I haven't had a migraine since because I've learned how to delegate. And, you know, I was reminded of that when Todd talked about just trying to to plug every hole in New York when there were there were dozens of them. I, I think he has learned to to trust his staff around him. And he's got guys around him he has worked with for years that he trusts infinitely. I think he's going to be more of a delegator. He's going to, he's not going to mess with the, the Brady Leftwich dynamic. Uh, he said, I will, if I want to, I'm the head coach. And he kind of joked about it. You know, he's got to, he's got to monitor the offense. He's got to manage games and things of that nature. He's got to have a hand in it, but I don't think he's going to really tamper with the, with what, the chemistry that that Tom and Byron ha- have developed, you know, he's gonna he's gonna entrust uh, when he has to watch the offense and scrimmage and you know and run pe- prep and pass prep, he's gonna let Larry Foote and Casey Rogers, his co-defensive coordinators, he's gonna let them run things defensively. So I just came away with a guy who who learned who has learned how to delegate, which I'm sure he learned from Bruce. Who, you know, who knows what the demands are of an NFL head coaching job and, you know, is is smart and savvy enough, obviously, especially as a defensive mind to put his own wrinkle and his own twist on things. So, again, just a maximum opportunity for Todd Bowles to succeed. All right. Well, some other Bucks news today happened. Uh, the Bucks re-signed a quarterback, but it was not Blaine Gabbert. Ryan Griffin is back. So now they have, what, three quarterbacks under contract, Tom Brady. Kyle Trask and Ryan Griffin. So uh, is he just a camp guy or what, what are they seeing with Ryan Griffin there? That's the great question. That's the prevalent question, Steve. Uh, are they, you know, let, typically they've had four quarterbacks in camp and Jason Light has said they're going to explore all options 
in terms of, of a backup, uh, presumably meaning a, a veteran. He said, Blaine, he said Monday, Blaine Gabbard is still in play. That's still a possibility. But, but is he? Will, will they go with these three? Do they like what they see enough out of Kyle Trask and his development just to trust him as the Brady backup and being one heartbeat away, if you will, and making Ryan Griffin the emergency guy? Or will they still bring a veteran in to, to back up Tom? My, my sense is they will bring a, a veteran in, an insurance policy, whether that's Blaine Gabbard or, or somebody else. Um, that remains to be seen. But um, I, I think they will go with four. But that said, you got to admire the, uh, the resilience of a guy like Ryan Griffin. It's a heck of a way to make a living. He's seeking his eighth consecutive year on this roster. Now, a lot of it has been... As the number three guy, not suiting up on game days, he was on the practice squad most of last year. He's thrown four regular season NFL passes, but God bless him, he's been he's been with in the NFL for nearly a decade now. Again, he's seeking his eighth consecutive year on this roster. Um, he's one of the elder statesmen, statesmen. So good for Ryan Griffin. I'll leave you on this too. I forgot to mention this. So Indomik and Sue had tweeted right. He says, congrats to Todd Bowles on becoming head coach of a great team that still feels one man light on talent with two eyes popping out. <laughs> that's the first we've heard from Sue, which, you know, that tweet leads me to believe he wants to come back. He wants to play. And he's saying like, hey, Bucks, the ball's in your court. Now, when we asked Jason Light about Sue Monday at the annual meetings in Palm Beach, he gave a really vague answer and just really kind of just sidestepped it. We asked Todd about it today. He was a little more forthcoming. He said they hope to have it resolved one way or the another pretty soon. He he praised Sue for the way he cares for his body. I mean, the way Sue meticulously cares for his body and nutrition rivals Brady from everything I've heard in that building. Um, the guy doesn't miss any games. He played, I think a little more than 60% of the snaps last season at age 34. So the guy's been consistent. He's durable. I know Bowles likes him. And he said, you know, today, Bowles said, obviously, there's some things we can't get into, but we hope to have this resolved. So this should be this should be completed and played out. Maybe in the next week or two, we'll know if Sue's on this roster. He played for $9 million last year. Are the Bucks willing to pay that to a 35-year-old defensive tackle again this time around? I just don't know, but hopefully we'll have an answer here in a, in a week or two. All right, Joey, thank you for stepping up today and uh, talking to us about the press conference where Bruce Arians officially retires as the Buccaneers head coach, and then Todd Bowles takes over. Uh, Rick, of course, enjoying some vacation time in Colorado. Uh, as he mentioned last night on the podcast, as his son's moving out there. So uh, glad you could uh, jump on today and give us the lowdown on what happened at One Buck Place or the Advent Health Practice Center, I think it's what it's called. Advent Health Training Center. Training Center. I got to get that right. <laughs> My pleasure, Steve. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
All right, we're joined by Ed Encina now, the Tampa Bay Times beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who in the final month of the regular season now, 16 games to go, 11 of those at home for the Lightning. As we tape this before Thursday night's NHL action, the Lightning are in second place in the Atlantic Division, just one point ahead of Toronto, and what, three points ahead of Boston. Now they're going to play Thursday night, so by the time you hear this, those standings could change. And they're just six points back of Florida. So I'll start with this, Eduardo. With 16 games to go, 11 at home, and the way the division standings are, how do you assess the Lightning's chances at getting, one, the number one seed in the division, which would be overtaking Florida, or do you see them dropping even as far as the wild card? I mean, there's four good teams all within you know eight or nine points of each other. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crowded down, you know, I, I, down when you get beyond, uh, you know, Toronto and, and, and those other teams. So, um, you know, I, I think it's they're right now they're really kind of protecting where they're at. You know, um, you know, they're going to have one head to head with with Florida where, you know, they can catch, you know, get, you know, get double the the uh, the game there. But um, I think right now it's really kind of just maintaining where they're at right now and. Um, you know, we saw this last year is, you know, they had an opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, maybe get a little bit better you know, seating. But um, I, I, I do think that, you know, the whole process of our outcome thing, we've heard it a lot from John Cooper. But, you know, to them, it's less about where they're seated and, you know, where they fit and where they, you know, slot into the division and more about, you know, how their game is rounding out come playoff time. I think that's what's probably more important to them right now. Um, now, having said that, you know, I don't think this is this is a little bit different than last year because I think, you know, all eight teams in this in this conference can you know make a run. So, uh, you know, last year it was tough. Obviously, they had a first round matchup with the Panthers, um, and that might have been their best, you know, their toughest draw in the entire uh, postseason. But um, it's going to be another one of those uh, you know tight, you know, tight conference uh, matchups that you know I, I don't really look at, at any of those matchups and and think to myself that, that they're going to have a you know, it's going to be an easy time for them. So uh, I, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, these guys, as you know, they don't think too much about their opponents. They think a lot about themselves. And I think that's kind of the, the way they're thinking about it going into this, you know, the home stretch of the regular season. Yeah, it's kind of a weird year in the Eastern Conference where yeah. really for a month now we've known the eight playoff teams. I mean, yeah. it, it's Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Boston in the Atlantic. It's Carolina, the Rangers, the Penguins, and the Capitals in the Metropolitan. And then every other team's 15 points or more back. I mean, right. it's, it's it's really crazy how top-heavy the Eastern Conference is. And, and really, you can make a case that all eight of those teams can win the Stanley Cup this year. Absolutely. I think, you know, top to bottom, you know, I think it's um, – I talk to a lot of people about this, and I think the toughest part for the Eastern Conference right now, who although those eight teams, is they're just going to kind of beat up on each other. And, you know, in, in the West, you know, it might not be as competitive. You know, obviously – you know, when you look at at things, uh, you know, Colorado might be you know, the, the the top of the group there, you know, shoulders, head and shoulders above. But they've obviously got to win in the postseason. They've got to show that they can get there. Um, but, you know, these Eastern Conference teams are just going to beat up on each other. And whoever makes it out of the East, you know, might have a tough time because they're just going to have to, you know, just getting there is going to be tough. So um, whereas, you know, for the Lightning the past couple of years, you know, getting to Montreal, you know, it felt like more of the Islanders series was probably – you know, really the, the toughest, uh, you know, the toughest matchup, the one you had to get through, um, you know, and, and even, you know, two years ago, that, that matchup and even some of those early series. So um, I think this might be a little bit of the opposite this year. It's like you're going to have first round, second round series that are 
really tough. And like you said, any of these eight teams, I, I really do think have a shot at, um, you know, at, at making it to the Stanley Cup. You mentioned the process over outcome, and John Cooper mm-hmm. is very, you know, relentless in saying that over and over again. The players repeat that mantra. So we know that the Lightning came out of a tough stretch. So mm-hmm. they had the, the three-week Olympic break where they, what, had eight days off, then played three games and had another eight days off. They headed to a home game, then to the, the stadium series. And then after the stadium series, it started a stretch of 31 games in 60 days. Yep. To start that off, they've played 11 games in 11 cities prior to Tuesday's win against Carolina. Uh, they went five and six on that stretch, although they did win the last two. Most people would say in the team, and you heard the team and, and John Cooper say, they were not playing their best game there. Right. But they seemed to get better against Detroit and then against the Islanders. And then they played a pretty complete game against Carolina, even though they trailed the whole game and right. didn't take the lead until they won it in overtime. But where does their process stand right now? How are, how are they happy or where do they see their game at right now? So I think right now they see themselves as, you know, trending forward, you know, and, and they're starting to do some of the things that maybe they did lack uh, during that road trip. And, and that was a rough stretch, you know, I mean, we talk about the 11 and 11, you know, two countries, four time zones, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, the uh, you know stadium series game, which was really, you know, kind of a really hyped up game. Great atmosphere. You know, for a lot of them, it's, you know, something that they never really experienced, even though they've, this team's pretty much experienced anything, everything. So, you know, right now, I, I think, you know, they're trying to get back to I mean, the past three games have kind of shown that they can get back to basics a little bit and kind of get back to that kind of hockey that, that's winning hockey. And, and when I say that, I mean that, you know, starting from the back end and moving forward, uh, you know, putting pucks on net, uh, you know, controlling the neutral zone and, and you know, establishing zone time. And I think that's, you know, what you saw last night's game, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes were probably a little bit fatigued playing on the back end of a back-to-back. You know, they, they played a really physical game in Washington the night before. But that's a team that relies on shot volume. They rely on, you know, being fast. They put pressure on you. And the Lightning held them to 19 shots. So um, I think that's, you know, what that says is that, you know, they had the puck a lot and they have it in their zone in, in the in the offensive zone a lot. So um, I think those are the kind of things that they're working towards. And, you know, I think a big thing, you know, no matter whether, you know, the, the Hurricanes were, were tired or not, is that you, you, you're, you need to see kind of, the big guns almost, you know, get, get into form. And I think we started to see that, you know, the Kita Kucherov probably had his, one of his better games over the past month, probably, um, you know, three assists, you know, we, we saw that, that the kind of player that, that we're used to seeing in terms of being able to slow down the game, find his teammates. Um, and, and that starts with, you know, the way he played away from the puck. I mean, I think that's kind of where he got lost a little bit on that road trip. And then, some offense from Steven Stamkos and, and Braden Point. So I think th- those are the things that at the, in the playoffs, your, your big players have to play big. And I think that's one of the big things that you saw out of, out of the last night's game or out of Tuesday's game. And I think, um, you know, they're kind of building on that. You know, the wins are good. The points are good. Um, but uh, it's, it's also good that you're, you're getting some games against uh, some physical teams. You know, in the Islanders, they played a really desperate team, like you said. They're on the outside looking in. They've got to win pretty much, you know, almost essentially win out in some ways just to have a chance to get back in. And even then, you know, they don't control any of their own fate. So that's a team that's desperate. 
Um, and, and, and you saw kind of that physicality in that game. But I really do think when you look back at that Detroit game, them coming back, you know, uh, in, in, in late in the game and then winning in overtime, you know, that, that's the kind of hockey that we haven't seen from them in a while. They've been chasing games, you know, killing tempo with penalties. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're just kind of getting back to playing winning hockey. And, uh, you know, the, the big thing I, I think is, is that's really killed them over the past couple of weeks it's just the, the the minor penalties and you know stick penalties, dumb penalties, and I know that you know they've taken a lot of them, and there can be some some question as to the the disparage. I mean the the discrepancies between how many they've taken and how many their opponents have taken. But yeah, you know, when you look at it, you just can't win hockey games with that. So um, I think they're st- starting to kind of clean some of that up too. But um, you know that that's I think where they're going. It's, it's just kind of rounding their game into form right now. Yeah, you can talk about the disparity, the penalties compared to their opponent, but you know, you look back at the penalties the Lightning took, and how many of them would you say weren't penalties? Right, not, not no, many. I mean, I, I mean, they're committing the penalties. Yeah, yeah. And, and so maybe they're not calling enough on the other team. That's up for debate, and you know, we can talk about that if you want. But you know, the Lightning art—it's not like they're getting called for phantom penalties. They're taking penalties, and, and a lot of right. them in the offensive zone in that, and it's. It, it puts Nikita Kucherov on the bench. It puts Steven Stamkos on the bench. It puts Braden Point on the bench. And, you know, when you're taking three penalties a period, there's six minutes of penalty kill of time that those guys are not on the ice, and that impacts your team. Yeah, exactly. I think the Boston game was probably the perfect example of that. I think I think it was either the Boston game or the first Carolina game where, you know, you're taking three penalties in the first, you know, 12 minutes. And, you know, Cooper said it after the game is that, you know, not only are your guys, your, you know, top guys not getting on the ice, but – their top guys are and they're beginning getting to get into, you know, the, the feel of the game and the tempo of the game and the pace of the game. So it, it kind of kills you two ways in a lot of ways. And um, I think the timing of those penalties, like you said, you know, early penalties, you know, when you're trying to or, or, or penalties like that just kind of kill the tempo. And that's that's the thing. You know, I think that they've, they've kind of tried to get away from that. And like you said, like we can we can talk about to their blue in the face, you know, I mean, like but I've also seen the lightning kind of get away with some penalties a couple couple last past couple of games, mm-hmm. you know, too. I, I think it's, you know, whether they're getting, getting uh, more calls called against them or not, like, you know, they're still committing the penalties. They're still, you know, so yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's, uh, you know, they, they just got to get back to being, being a little bit more disciplined, you know? And I think that's the way they focus on it. It's like, it's more about them than it is about the other guys. They've always looked at it that way. And, you know, if they can clean some of that stuff up, you know, they'll be in good shape, you know, because I think they believe in, in their process and their system and their skill um, that that they can, you know, beat anyone else. And obviously, you know, they, they can say that because, you know, they've done it before. You mentioned about the big guns being the big guns. And mm. three games ago, they put Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, and Steven Stamkos together on a line. Yep. They've won three games since then. And each game, they've played a better game, I would say. They've improved yep. as a team. Is that a line you expect to see to stay? I know in the past, when we've seen that line together, they tend to try to pass the puck into the net. Right. Because there's so much skill on that line. Right. And and it's great to have unselfish players, but at some point someone's got to shoot the puck on that line. Right. Do we no, see right. that, that, that line staying, or have they learned from that past experiences? I mean, we don't see them often on line together outside of the the power play. Right. And I think, yeah, I think that's kind of a part of the reason they put them on there is that the power play had struggled so much that, you know, just get these guys on the ice together a little bit more, you know, and, 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 and maybe it'll, you know, eventually the skill will speak for itself. But yeah, I mean, we, we know that the lightning are a team that 
you know, sometimes they notoriously overpass and instead of taking shots. And, you know, it's, it's that shooter's mentality that they have to have. And um, I think you're starting to see that. I think last, last on Tuesday's game was a good example of it. And, you know, I don't think John Cooper's going to break up something that doesn't work. So to break up something that's working. So I think for now they'll, uh, they'll keep that line intact. You know, I think that, you know, at the same time you're trying to find, you know, what's that lockdown line too? you know, what's uh, that third line that they've created with Ross Colton and and the new trade acquisitions, Brandon Hagel and Nick Paul, what's that going to kind of evolve into Uh, those guys haven't played together very long. You know, um, where does Anthony Sorelli, a guy who, you know, can play across all the lines and is one of those guys that you, know, you can kind of anchor a lockdown line around, um, you know, where does he fit into the mix, you know, and, you know, cause he's been on that top line too. Um, and the reason that he was on there was to kind of establish that, that pace, cause he's just a puck out, you know, he's back and forth. And I think, you know, at that point when they did it, they needed him to kind of bring some guys in into that kind of style of play. So um, I think right now it's working. So you just kind of, you know, keep it the way it is right now. And we know that these lines are going to change, you know, it's still 16, uh, you know, 16 games left in the regular season. So you have some time to figure out the way you're going to do it going into the postseason. And, um, but, you know, I think right now it's working. I think, you know, the good thing is that for the lightning is that you're seeing results from those guys. And um, again, like, like you said, the big guys have to play big, you know, I mean, well, you know, they're, those guys are the reason that they made it so far in, in the postseason. Uh, last year and you know the year before that obviously Sam Coast wasn't wasn't around from for most of that postseason two years ago but uh, you know Nikita Kucherov and Brain Point were having huge parts of, of both of these runs so um, you know you just got to get them kind of feeling good about themselves and I think Tuesday was a pretty good start. You mentioned the new trade acquisitions Brendan Hagel and Nick Paul of course leaving the team then it was Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk and Matthew Joseph to make way for them. So how have they fit in so far, and what do you see their roles going forward will be? I mean, you know, part of this rotating the lines is just trying to figure out where these guys can fit in and where you have chemistry. Right, and I, th- I think, you know, as of now, like I think that's, you know, the way we see them on that third line with um, with Ross Colton is where they're kind of going to slot in right now. Um, you know, they, they, they seem to play well off of each other. Um, you know, they're good four checkers, you know, Ross is a guy who, you know, he likes to get down the ice, get the puck deep and, and, and play behind the net. You know, those guys are well equipped to do that too. Um, you know, Hagel's a guy who can, you know, it, it's funny because all these, these two guys almost kind of have the same kind of stories as, uh, you know, a lot of other guys who've, who've, who've done well uh, in lightning sweaters like Yanni Gord and, and Tyler Johnson. Like these were two guys who really didn't, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of doubters coming up and they, they kind of proved them wrong especially Hagel, you know, who uh, was drafted by Buffalo. Uh, the, the Sabres didn't sign him. Uh, so he, he went into the draft again, went undrafted, signed as a free agent, basically uh, was about to become a, you know, go back to school and become a teacher uh, before going into his, his last shot at, at junior hockey. And you know, then he got a shot with the Blackhawks. But um, he's developed into a really good player, 20-goal scorer, um, and, and really a big kind of part of their plan uh, long-term because – He's a, uh, you know, he's a guy who they can control for the next, I think, four years after this. Um, Paul's a little bit different. He's playing for a, uh, not just a Stanley Cup, but he's playing for a contract next year, and he's going to be a free agent. And so that, that's his opportunity. But you know, he was a guy too, very hyped. He came coming up. He, uh, you know, he actually played with Braden Point on Team Canada in the World Juniors. Uh, they were roommates. 
uh, but he didn't really live up to expectations early on. And he kind of had to figure out how to, you know, become uh, more from a guy who was getting, you know, put on waivers, moving up and down between the American League and back and become uh, the guy that he is, which is a really, you know, a guy who can play a really heavy game, but it also has some skill. I mean, he saw his first goal a few few games ago and uh, he was pretty, uh, he looked pretty good with, uh, with the stick, uh, like on, on a rush with Colton uh, when he first scored his first goal. So um, I think these two guys fit in well. I think they fit into the, the bolt label that Julian Breezewell kind of talks about. Um, And, and, and they, they do their homework on these guys. So I think that both of these guys will fit in well. Again, I think a part of it is to see if they can kind of establish that lockdown line against the opposing top, top lines. And, uh, if those guys can find that form, you know, I think this this team's got a it's 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 much it puts this team in a much better situation uh, going into the postseason. We know how how important that is, uh, you know, come the postseason when everything's so much tighter. One guy who's been struggling at least on the stat sheet uh, for the last two months now is Andre Palat. I don't believe yeah. he scored since January 11th or somewhere, give or take a few days there. Um, he's not on the top line anymore not necessarily because of anything he's doing. I think they're just trying to juggle the lines. And as you said, moving Stamkos up there, trying to get their confidence going and help the power play as well. But, you know, how is Andre Palat's game? And and are we worried about him? I mean, he's he's such a key part in the last two years, you know, with that top line with Kucherov and Point in the playoffs, he's been huge in in producing goals and assists at that point. So what do we see in Andre Palat's game this year? Yeah, it's it's hard putting a, a finger on that one because I really do feel that like when you look at him, there's nothing different about him. It doesn't look like he's you know a step slower or anything like that. I think the strength to Andre Palat's game though is that his positioning and he always kind of finds a way to be right in the middle of the action. And when he's doing that, he's successful. And he just kind of hasn't been there. You know, like there's a lot of games when like you kind of wonder like where's he been, and that's very unlike Andre Palat because he's almost like you said he's. It seems when he's going well, and what we've used, what we're used to seeing with him is that he's in the middle of everything. Uh, he just figures out a way to get there, and um, you know, I, I do think that working on a line with with Kalorn and Sorelli, as he has been, uh, you know, the past few games will help him. You know, um, those are two guys that you know, like you said with Sorelli, they kind of bring you in a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's definitely got to get going because um, you know we we saw this a little bit last year with Sorelli. You know, like. He had, I think, going into the last you know, week mm-hmm. of the regular season, I think he had something like a 20, uh, 20 around 20 goal uh, drought. And I think Palat now is at right around 21, 22, 23, something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, so, so you see this going in down the stretch. You know, guys do get tired, they get fatigued, they're trying to they get frustrated. So, um, but Andre Palat, you know, it, it, that's one that it's, it's really tough to put a finger on because uh, you look at it and, and other than him not being around the puck and around the action quite as much as you always do see him do. And like, this is a guy who still does all the little things, you know, the puck battles in the corner, you know, he's technically, you know, he's technically so sound, but uh, you know, he's a, he could be a physical player too. Uh, but you know, the goals and stuff like that. And I, 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 I haven't heard anyone really, you know, say that his game's declined or anything like that. And again, he is doing all those little things and he, he's just not finding the goal. So, I mean, and, and that's what John Cooper said is, that, you know, it's, it's kind of going back to the whole cliche of process over outcome. And, you know, it's a way, it's a way you're doing, you're playing away from the puck uh, that, that'll get you goals. And that, you know, maybe especially when you're going through a drought like this. So, you know, 
they, they definitely need to get him going. I think that that helps them, especially with how big he's been in the postseason and how much of a, a big presence he is on this team. So, um, but yeah, that's a tough one to really kind of pinpoint, but he's definitely got to get going. If memory serves me correct, I think Yanni Gord a couple years ago had like a 35 game scoreless streak, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah, So it happens. It happens down the stretch. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that guys just kind of all and all it takes is one, really, you know, and it doesn't have to be a a great one. It can be one that's it can be an ugly one. It can be a Grammy one. It can be a greasy one. So remember Corey Perry at the beginning of the year, what was 17 games or something? And then he scored that one. He threw the monkey off his back and then they just started pouring in after that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perry's a really good example of that is, yeah, I mean, like and, and Perry had tons of chances. You know, mm-hmm. Ross Colton started slow, too. You know, he had tons of chances early on. So, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, a thing to the season. Obviously, 20s, when it gets to 20-some games, you kind of think to yourself, okay, you know, what is going on here? But all it takes is one. Let's move to defense. And Ryan McDonough, probably mm-hmm. the second-best defenseman on this team, maybe the best defensive defenseman that they have. Right. Uh, out right now indefinitely with an upper body injury, although John Cooper gave an update on Wednesday that – uh, he could return to the ice soon um, and, and has been skating. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, he said, you know, Wednesday that basically uh, he's he's got he's gone back on the ice. He's skating again, upper body injury, so he can still condition. So that's what he's doing. Um, and, and the, you know, within a week, he's hopeful. Now, you know, Cooper, you know, sometimes he, he, he very much hesitates to put timetables on guys because, you know, when you do that, then you put yourself out there that, you know, you're going to be wrong. So he said within a week, you know, I think that, you know, if, if you see him, you know, this time next week, you know, that, that's a good thing for the Lightning. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, like you said, uh, he does so many things on the back end that that have really kind of stabilized that that defense. And he's kind of the heart of it, you know, in a lot of ways. And you know, we, we've seen how many guys have missed games for blocking shots. And, you know, I think, yeah, he, excuse me, I think he has like 110 of them or 113, something like that, leading the team. And. Uh, he's the guy who, you know, is really kind of the anchor back there. You know, Victor Hedman's the best, you know, all-around player back there. But, you know, without McDonough, um, you lose one, you know, one of your top left-shot guys, a guy who plays 20-some minutes for you. You also lose a big piece of the penalty kill. Um, so they're really uh, – they really miss something without him. Um, you know, obviously, and your top shot blocker. So, uh, you know, right now, you know, they do have seven – you know, before the injury, they've had seven defensemen. So – Cal foot, you know, draws in there and he's been playing well, you know, he had a huge, huge block shot in, uh, uh, in long Island the other day. And, mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was, that was a big, uh, a big play for him in the middle of, uh, I think it was a one goal game at the time. And, uh, you know, I think you've seen him play a little bit more physically, which, you know, for a young player, you've kind of got to grow into that role. Uh, dad was a hell of a physical player, um, in, in his day, but like, I think Cal's really kind of had to learn that part of his game. And I think he's starting to do that. You've seen him; uh, he's kind of, you know, been been up for uh, some of these physical games that they've had. You know, maybe the, the past couple, uh, you know, past couple games with Carolina and and, and the Islanders. So, um, you know, it, it's good to see from him. And he's one of these guys who, you know, has been in and out of the lineup. We've seen him, uh, we've seen him in, we've seen him out. You know, he started this road trip, you know, not dressing. He's watching the game up from the stands in the press box and. Uh, Sometimes for young players that can help because you can see it from a different vantage point. And I think, you know, combine that with the experience that he's getting, and I think you know he's he's in a good spot. I mean, keep in mind this is a guy who, you know, once they acquired David Savard last year, at the deadline didn't really play that much. You know, down the stretch and in, in the playoffs. So, 
Um, but they're going to, you know, th- they might need him, you know, uh, who we do know that this, this blue line core has been beat up, you know, whether it's McDonough or whether it's, uh, you know, Bogosian, Chernak, Chernak's guys like that. They, a lot, yeah. They've been, they've struggled to, to, to keep that, that group intact. So, um, you know, he's going to be important, you know, he's going to be an important guy, uh, even if he's not necessarily, you know, dressing every night, um, he's going to be an important part of it. So it's, it's, it is important to get him some, some time, you know, you don't want to be missing Ryan McDonough, but, uh, it is good to get him some ice time, especially down the stretch here. A big weekend for former bolts returning to Amelie arena mm-hmm. tonight, the Blackhawks in town, Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk will make their first appearance at Amelie arena since being traded. But even bigger, Tyler Johnson returns tonight. Uh, he got his ring a couple weeks ago when the Bolts played the the Blackhawks in Chicago. But what kind of ovation do you expect tonight? Will it be as big as Yanni Gord's was back after Thanksgiving? Yeah, that, that that'll, that'll be an interesting uh, interesting comparison because obviously, uh, you know, both the fans love both of those guys, and mm-hmm. you know, for for obviously, you know well-known reasons and i do think tyler johnson will get a huge huge reception you know i think that um i think you know the one thing i think the fans really acknowledge is how important guys have been to you know the long haul process here and uh you know you know both you know with with tyler johnson you see a guy who you know was a homegrown guy who like you saw him grow up you know you saw him be such an instrumental part of the lighting as they grew into a into a cup contending mm-hmm. team you know that 2015 year you know the triplets and everything like that i mean like you know i think lightning fans know that they they understand you know his role in the history and and the, and his role in the growth so and the one thing about tyler johnson too is like you know especially towards the end you know he had been through a lot you know like they put him on waivers you know they're trying to trade him you know he you know he went you know between lines he was on the fourth line for a while last year you know and and, you know, he never showed any sign of like that he was, you know, down on it. You know, he like, there could have been disruption from him, but he took it all in stride. And I think the fans recognize that. So, I mean, uh, it was it was great kind of seeing that that moment in Chicago when uh, he came in into the room there. And, uh, you know, guys who've been around really appreciate him. And it's it's interesting seeing some of these reunions kind of but, Cooper joked around that they're kind of like high school reunions going back and giving these guys their rings and stuff. And you've got history of certain guys a little bit deeper, but the, the, the history with, with Tyler Johnson goes really deep. And, you know, even for guys like, like Pilat and like, you know, Kalorn, John Cooper, who, you know, played with obviously, you know, the, the veteran guys who, who played with, with, with a guy like Tyler Johnson, you know, several years in the NHL, in the AHL. And, you know, it basically all grew up together. So, um, I think it'll be a really special night. You know, I think it's cool to the, the uh, you know, the, the tribute videos that, that these guys get and everything like that. I've seen every last one of them. And like, you can tell that, that, you know, there's definitely a, a good vibe in the, in the arena that, you know, a nostalgic vibe, but also a vibe of respect that, you know, how much these guys really meant to, uh, you know, to, to everything that this, this organization has done the past, you know, whatever, you know, seven, nine, 10 years. After the game Tuesday, uh, Jay Retcher, Brian Engblom, and I were talking just about how good Tyler Johnson was in that 15 yeah. playoffs. And, you know, if he doesn't break his hand, yep. And, and maybe if Hedman and, and Bishop don't collide into each other during the Chicago series, maybe that series turns out differently and the Lightning actually win a cup in 2015. Yep. 
And, you know, I mean, Tyler Johnson was probably the best player on the Lightning for that, that playoff run. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. anchoring in the center of that triplets line. And, and, you know, and you're exactly right. What he's done on this team and the, the number of different roles he's taken for several seasons now. Right. You know, it's almost absolutely. like they've had seven top six forwards the last few years. Right. And he was right. always shifting between wing and center and second and third and fourth line. And, and you know, yeah, you never saw any, any down from him or, you know, you always saw him, you know, doing what he does and that's give it his all on the ice. So, yeah. And I, and I think that's the big thing is like, that's why, that's why the fans love guys like Yanni Gordon, Tyler Johnson because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm really curious on Saturday to see how the fans react to seeing Marty St. <laughs> Louis coaching the, the, Canadians as they make their first trip to Amelie Arena since he became the interim head coach. Right. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting because, I mean, you know, I don't think anyone necessarily, you know, in, you know, three, four months ago, we expected that to be a, a you know, a, a storyline on, on that game, you know. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, uh, it'll be interesting how, how the reception that he gets. I think that, you know, Marty's another one of those guys that the fans, uh, the fans obviously, love because of his the way he played and the way that uh you know he fought on the ice and uh but yeah it's gonna be it's i think it's i think more than anything this is gonna be weird for the fans you know just kind of seeing him behind the bench you know this all kind of happened so fast you know and obviously he only has an interim label you know right now but um you know i don't know how many people i think this kind of surprised everyone uh you know i i think the players that he played with could see him being a coach but i just don't know if Mm -hmm. they they saw this happening, you know, so quickly or the, you know, the way it has, but, um, and the team's playing a lot better since he took yeah. over as coach yeah. too. I mean, this is I not mean, it, the same Montreal team that started the season with like seven wins in the first 50 games or something like that. Yeah. And, and you know, off, it's, 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 he's trying to get them playing, you know, kind of his form, you know, it's like, uh, you know, buy in, you know, take it step by step and, and, and go from there. And, uh, but, but above all compete. And uh, I think that's kind of what they've been doing that maybe they weren't doing early on uh, in the season. And, you know, when the season goes downhill, it's hard to stop the snowball from rolling. And, uh, you know, it was a change that, that they made. And, and I think it was, it was it was probably a good one. You know, I mean, they needed something something to happen there. Uh, now, having said that, that is a, that is a tough job. You know, I mean, like that is, uh, you know, that's like, I guess, the equivalent of like managing the Yankees or something. You know what I mean? So um, that's a uh, that's a job that that, you know, it's a tough one and there's high expectations there. And, and, but I don't think Marty would have it any other way. So as far as the fans go, I think they'll give him a good reception. I think, uh, you know, you know, it'll, 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 I think more than anything, it'll be kind of something that they have to kind of get used to, you know, seeing him, you know, behind another bench. Now, have you moved in a cot or a sleeping bag or something into Amelie arenas? We have 11 home games <laughs> this month of April, uh, which is just crazy to think about uh, how often we're going to be at Amelie Arena? Yeah, not yet. It's a little bit better than 6 a.m. flights on back-to-backs. But, you know, um, yeah, it's uh, it, they'll, they'll be at home a lot. And it'll be, you know, I think, you know, it's it's so strange because March was so different, you know, with all the road travel and everything. And, you know, all of a sudden, boom, you're you're here. I mean, I mean even for, for, for us who cover the team, it's like going to the arena every day, you know, for practice and stuff like that. You're like, wow, like. I like I, I went to the arena today for practice and I was thinking, I was like, man, I feel like I haven't done this that that often, you know, back to back days of, you know, three, four, five, six straight days of driving to the arena. So um, it's different. It's good to be home. You know, it's, it's good to uh, sleep in your own bed and stuff like that for the players and 
and coaches. So, uh, you know, especially after going on that long stretch, you know, you know, the 11 and 11 and, uh, you know, that one game against the Rangers, that was a home game that really didn't feel like a home game because they were in and out. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, and this is, you know, they played well at home. So, uh, you know, this is kind of where you, you can't really hope for a better situation to kind of, uh, be able to play at home when you're rounding a lot, when you're rounding out your schedule. And I haven't said that they play a lot of, you know, tough teams. So there's going to be a lot of barometer games here, you know, coming up, uh, you know, Boston, Toronto, uh, you know, teams like that, the Panthers, the Capitals, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be a good, a good, uh, good thing to see down the stretch. To put it in perspective, there was 13 home games in the first three months of this year. There's 11 in April. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. So just to put that in perspective, he's Eduardo Encina. He covers the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times. You read him there every day. Uh, Ed, thank you for coming on, and I'll see you at the arena tonight. Anytime, Steve. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.